0: air with season four of the afropop close-up podcast where we go beyond the music into politics religion history and culture today we're traveling through the looking glass to brazil where just as in the united states a right-wing government is now in power Brazil's president Jair Bolsonaro rose to office by being crude and outrageous, while also appealing to so-called family values. But we'll hear why the parallels with the U.S. and Donald Trump should probably stop there.
1: If you hear about Brazil's president Jair Bolsonaro in the United States at all, he's always presented as the Donald Trump of Brazil this hard right-winger, this vulgarian who ran on family values. To get into power, they wrote backlash to the country's center, center-left center party, which had been in power in America for two terms, the Democrats having the presidency. In Brazil, four terms of the Workers' Party or Peite.
2: I don't think they're comparable. I think okay. they're only comparable in terms of the fact that corporate interests supported both of them and that they used similar social media um, weaknesses to get elected. but. They're, you're talking about a soft military dictatorship coming back. I don't think that's the same, because our president is mostly, the military industrial complex views him with a great deal of suspicion. Pretty much there's this parade of people who are from the US military leadership who keep on resigning or getting fired. Like they don't, they're not able to work with him for various reasons. Um, Bolsonaro, meanwhile, is like the dictatorship was great. Um, He relies on a lot of rhetoric that is very much Cold War, anti-communist rhetoric. I don't think they're comparable. I'm K.E. Goldschmidt. I am an assistant professor of music at Wellesley College. Um, I teach in the jazz and world music program. And I also teach a lot of their popular and world music courses.
1: Dr. Goldschmidt is talking about the Brazilian military dictatorship that ruled the country from the early 60s until the late 80s. The professor took a break from working on Bossa Mundo, Brazilian Music in Transnational Media Industries, which is their book about Brazilian music in English-speaking countries like the UK and the US, to talk politics with me. We got into the limits of comparing Brazil and the US.
2: And I remember in a class, looking at the map, Right. Looking at the map, being just like this country is as big of a deal in the world as the United States. If you're talking about size, if you're talking about the number, how appealing it was to immigrants, it had like a mirror image, distorted mirror image history to the United States.
1: That's the big picture. Two countries mirrored across the equator with similar physical sizes and comparable populations. Uh, Brazil has 209 million people. The U.S. has 350 million. Both countries carry the unresolved legacies of European immigration, indigenous displacement, and of course, slavery. But when it comes to right-wing nationalistic presidencies elected this decade, the comparison for Dr. Goldschmidt doesn't hold up. Trump is a real estate heir turned celebrity, first in New York and then nationally, turned into an eventual sort of politician. Bolsonaro, though, is a former army captain who came to power after Brazil's right-wing impeached President Dilma Rousseff over pretty much nothing and then threw her predecessor, Lula da Silva, into jail. At the time, da Silva was leading in the presidential polls to be re-elected again and was arrested with the slimmest of pretexts. I'm not saying it's okay, but for all of his locker-up luster, Trump isn't arresting any of the Clintons or Barack Obama.
2: I don't think they're comparable in that way. And I think because the Brazilian democracy is still so fragile, you know, it's only a couple of decades, only one generation has basically grown up um, in a functional democracy, that it's, um, you know, we can imagine that while there are things that people on the political left or on the political middle or who aren't the one-third of the United States who really love Donald Trump without any sort of qualms, the two-thirds of people might be able to... Uh, do things to limit what he's doing. Or maybe not, who, who knows? Like, I can't predict the future, but with Bolsonaro, the difference is, the people who voted for him, I think just really didn't like the pete. Like there is this element of the fact that you had one party that was in control for a really long time. You know, they, were, they, they won four elections in a row. And we haven't really seen that in the United States one party winning four elections in a row when you're not in the middle of the war, you know, like that's <laughs> the last time that kind of thing happened. I, I think the comparisons with Bolsonaro are more appropriate to places like the Philippines.
1: On this Afropop closeup, we talk with Dr. Goldschmidt and a few Brazilian guests about Bolsonaro. Who are his targets? How did he rise to power? even though every country is different, Bolsonaro does feel like he's part of a trend of reactionary politicians.
3: There is this wave in Europe, in North America, and unfortunately here in Brazil too.
1: Meet our Brazilians.
3: You can use my nickname. is Lucio Magano. That is the radio show nickname. Okay.
1: You want to talk about mirror images. Lucio runs, of all things, a public radio show about music from Africa called Radio Africa. We hit it off right away and got to talking over Skype, I in the Pop office in New York and Lucio at home in Bahia. He knows what he's talking about.
3: Right now I'm finishing a PhD in political science um, from UCLA. And now I'm finishing my dissertation while I'm also trying to do some jobs. And I have this job with the radio show uh, that focuses exclusively in African music. We have this radio show that goes like weekly uh, every Thursday, 9 p.m. Brazil time. But since January, we have an online radio station that we play African music 24 hours. And we are starting to record some podcasts with local artists, uh, activists talking about um, their music, their activities and how it's related to the whole African legacy that we have in Brazil, any
1: Bahia. And Lucio isn't the only one who sees Bolsonaro as part of a trend. I
4: believe this is a general phenomenon. Okay, I don't believe this is only Brazilian. The scary thing is that I feel like Brazil is is being taken as the laboratory of of this new way of of dealing with uh, society. My name is Sérgio Krakowski and I'm a pandeiro player. I'm from Rio de Janeiro. I've been playing for 23 years, 24 years now. It's mostly pandeiro. So pandeiro, for those that don't know, it's the Brazilian tambourine. And in Brazil, it's a huge symbol of Brazilian music. It's really a core instrument for samba, which is pretty much our national identity in terms of music. And uh, my formation comes from choro music, and it's a very important genre in Brazil, and, and it's pretty much also like the grandfather of samba.
1: I first saw Sergio perform a few years ago at Le Poisson Rouge in New York. I I don't know how it was all wired, but he was using his pandero, which is a very traditional instrument made of wood and animal skin and jangling metal, to control these electronic loops and a video on a video screen that was being projected. It, It was wild. Pandero, it turns out, is but one of his pursuits.
4: I just told you about my musical background, but I am a mathematician. I did school of math. Being a pandero player already, professional pandero player, I did school of math and I did masters in pure math. So it was completely like theoretical math, unrelated to any practical thing.
1: I was asking my friends in New York's Brazilian music scene if there were any especially political artists I could talk to here in town, and Sergio was the one they all sent me to. So we got together at his apartment in Brooklyn.
4: I believe being an artist in our time is already a political action. It's already a political um, statement. I believe in that. I believe, like, giving my life to art and spending all the time I have that I can to art, to me, Uh, works as a political statement, too.
1: Whether in Brazil or the United States or Europe, it's impossible to avoid questions of social media. We have the trope of angry uncles posting right-wing memes on Facebook in the US, but the Brazilians I spoke to pointed to one of Facebook's big acquisitions, the peer-to-peer messaging app WhatsApp, as the conduit for pro-Bolsonaro takes.
4: WhatsApp was the tool that won this election. WhatsApp is a messaging system that is very, very popular in Brazil. Now, the way they made it work is by understanding the construction of truth by using very simple messages on WhatsApp sent to family circles. So, those messages always using fear. So, using fear, They infused certain messages using robots. They managed to send those messages to the family groups, family, a very important structure in Brazil. Family is very strong in Brazil.
1: And Lucio? in the
3: last election when Bolsonaro rose to power was basically through Facebook and WhatsApp, families, friends, and different groups shouting at each other. But the subject, you won't find like anything related to politics. It's always about moral and conservative values. And so that's why he became very strong and in the end he won the election because he comes from the military. He's also related to uh, religion groups and these groups they have been growing consistently in Brazil. So he had a lot of votes from these kind of people that believes that being progressive is a threat.
4: Uh, grandmothers taking care of their grandchildren and sending WhatsApp messages saying how dangerous is communism.
1: Communism. This is a pretty strange difference. While Trump is criticized for cozying up to the U.S.'s old Cold War foe, Russia, Bolsonaro has a lot of Cold War-era anti-communist rhetoric and what he talks about. It would be funny if it wasn't dangerous.
2: Um, He removed protections for gay people. That was the very first thing he did. That was the very first thing he did.
1: Under Bolsonaro, the new Ministry of Women, Family, and Human Rights, an evangelical, declined to add the LGBTQ community as a group explicitly protected by its mandate. As the Washington Post put it, over the past 10 years with the Workers' Party in power, Brazil's LGBTQ community secured civil rights victories in the courts, including same-sex marriage in 2013 and legal transgender name and gender changes in 2018. But during that time, conservative evangelical churches have also been growing in popularity in Brazil, and so has the backlash for newly won rights for the community.
3: Uh, it started a wave of anti-workers party uh, in the whole country. They are considering left, so the left wing. And every problem, like from um, public policies to something like gay people... Uh, Advocating for gay rights was something to be blamed to that party, because we should be conservative. Uh, we should be like the traditional family, you know, like man, woman, kids, going to church, in, uh, worship God.
1: Bolsonaro describes himself as a proud homophobe and told reporters he'd rather have a dead son than a gay son, and that he didn't want Brazil to become a gay tourism paradise.
4: They have to say that tradition is to have a heterosexual family, that you have to do that and that and that, and that you have to hate the African-based religions, because this is a kidnap. This is a way of inverting the science.
1: See, Bolsonaro doesn't bother with dog whistles when he's talking to his supporters. Dr. Goldschmidt described how the LGBTQ community in Brazil is still fairly hidden, especially outside of the big cities.
2: Brazil, sadly, is the place where, that has the highest number of homicides against trans women. Like, if you ever go to a Trans Day of Remembrance, where they actually read off all the names and where the, the deaths happened, Brazil, the number coming from Brazil is, hard, is it's hard to take. Largely, you know, trans men are invisible, but they're invisible in all kinds of places. They're invisible in the United States, um, for, for the most part, especially those who pass whereas a lot of the more genderqueer folks, they don't pass intentionally so. Um, But in Brazil, they are invisible.
3: He and his vice president, they usually say that they won't change anything in the constitution or in the complementary laws that will threaten the rights guaranteed for black people, for gay people, for indigenous people. But outside the law they do a lot of oppression like they push the society against these people so people feel intimidated to be in the streets like a gay couple you know holding hands you don't have a law against that but you can be like hurt or maybe killed so he has been operating in this way
1: Just as Trump seems to have emboldened hate groups in the U.S., Bolsonaro looks like a green light to say what you used to not say. Brazil's only openly gay congressman left the country in exile because he's receiving death threats. Race in Brazil is easily a topic for its own podcast, not podcast episode, but a whole series. And so we can't possibly do the subject justice here, but we also can't ignore it. One reason Lucio decided to do a radio show on Africa and Brazil was to correct perceptions of the continent there a country where half of all people claim African ancestry.
3: We have a lot of African legacy, but racism here is very strong. We have a lot of difference between the United States and Brazil in this matter, but we have a lot of racism. And here in Bahia, usually people believe that we don't have racism because we have a lot of black population, but racism here is very sophisticated because white people, since they are minority, they have to make the racism very, very subtle. And right now with this government, this situation, it's very, very threatening to all the advance we made in the last years, because people are feeling like, just like in the US with Trump, feeling very free to talk against Blacks, gay people, and other groups in society.
1: He's attacked marginalized communities, the opposition party, and also education. Bolsonaro cut $1.5 billion of Brazil's education budget, a third of the discretionary funding for Brazilian universities. In April, Bolsonaro tweeted that he was considered withdrawing government funding for philosophy and sociology.
2: You know, he's, he's taking apart social sciences. He's attacking the sciences. You know, you're talking about some of the best universities in Latin America, have some of the strongest social science departments in the world. Like Universidad de São Paulo is like legendary. And they have like really strong sociology, anthropology. Like they're they're amazing. And he's talking about just ending science. And I think that is Um, not what's happening here. In this country, the threats to higher education are more to do with discursive and rhetorical problems where like fake facts or post-truth. You don't have the president saying no more science. You don't actually have that kind of top-down assertion of power. You don't have students throwing chairs or attacking their professors before elections. You don't have the military threatening professors right before the election, saying that they are distributing propaganda. I mean, it is really, it's worse. And these are the concrete ways that it's worse. And, you know, he's also losing some of his support.
1: (laughs) And that's the conflicted feeling of hope that actually feels the most familiar to me. Maybe he's screwing all this up and his own incompetence will keep him from doing all the terrible stuff he claims to want to do.
3: Because he's very limited, very, very, very limited. He only has been proving that he's totally lost. Even he confessed publicly two times saying like, you know, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't born to be a president. I was born to be a military. So how about the people that voted to him? It's like you are on an airplane and then the pilot will call you and say, hey, people, you are doing this flight but I wasn't born to be here in this position. And you say, what? And yeah, he's kind of a joke. The more educated people, we don't take him serious, but he has secretaries for environment and education. They have two guys, they are very aggressive in making the, the Bolsonaro agenda happen. So, right now we are very concerned about the Amazon. We are very concerned about the future of education because those two guys, they are good in doing what Bolsonaro wants. But to continue doing this, they believe Bolsonaro keeping some stability. Until now, it's not happening.
1: Bolsonaro might just be a figurehead, but he has advisors who know what they're doing. His bluster may eventually get in the way of them achieving their goals, but. Sergio worries, it may also give them the cover that they need.
4: Scandal is the thing. You can only call attention through Scandal. For them to approve the pension reform, he has to post scatologic Twitters. Man, that's so obvious. That has absolutely nothing to do with the real content of the Twitters. That's so obvious that this is a strategy that is being clearly researched and applied and tested more and more. You post a scatologic video, a scatologic or a completely racist statement, and you let all the progressive wing scream for weeks, and then you pass the, the pension reform. Or you pass anything else, you pass like cut of 30% for all universities. So it's a scandal. It's scandal-based
1: politics. If you're looking for silver linings, if you're looking for hope, maybe it's in music. During the Brazilian military dictatorship, artists slipped around censorship laws by veiling their messages in a metaphor or sometimes explicitly avoiding a message. So far in the Bolsonaro era, Brazilian artists are still being explicit.
2: to check out a song called Eteria, E-T-E accent, R-E-A. It's a song. It's by one of the top hip-hop MCs from Brazil. Um, Watch the video. Watch the documentary about the video with the subtitles on. It's a celebration of queerness in Brazil. And he's a straight rapper from Sao Paulo, and he is—he put out a house track. When I saw that, it felt like my heart was going to explode. I'm feeling really heartened by the fact that so many people are horrified by what's happening to their gay friends and how scared everybody is. That is a type of allyship you don't see as much coming from, say, hip-hop musicians in the United States. So that, that carries some tremendous meaning for folks like myself.
3: I have a lot of artists that I follow them on Instagram because of the radio show and also my personal account. And on the contrary, they have been very, very oppressive and very, very discriminating against people. So I would tell you that until now, we don't have censorship. This is the moment and we need to resist. Despite everything that is going on, we need to resist and arts like in the past is one of the ways to make people get the message to gather people together and also do politics through arts and so i would tell you that until this moment is censorship it's like okay we are on a yellow light but not on the red light yet yeah.
0: This Afropop close-up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. But to keep this series going, we need your support. Visit afropop.org to make a donation. Every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Banning Air.